0: hello and welcome back to the rewatch rewind my name is jane and this is the podcast where i count down my top 40 most rewatched movies today i will be discussing number 36 on my list disney's 2013 animated musical frozen directed by chris buck and jennifer lee written by jennifer lee from a story by chris buck jennifer lee and shane morris inspired by hans christian Andersen's the snow queen and featuring the voice talents of Kristen Bell, Adina Menzel, Jonathan Groff, Josh Gad, and Santina Fontana. Frozen is the story of two royal sisters. The older, Elsa, voiced by Idina Menzel, has ice powers that she doesn't know how to control. As a child, she accidentally injured her younger sister, Anna, voiced by Kristen Bell, who was healed by trolls but has no memory of Elsa's powers. On Elsa's coronation day, the palace gates are opened for the first time in years and Anna meets Prince Hans of the Southern Isles, Santino Fontana, and is immediately smitten. But asking for Elsa's blessing of their marriage leads to a fight that causes Elsa to unintentionally unleash her powers. Terrified, Elsa runs away, leaving the whole kingdom frozen. Anna goes after her and teams up with mountain man Kristoff, Jonathan Groff, his reindeer Sven, and a magical snowman created by Elsa named Olaf, Josh Gad, to bring back Summer and her sister. I remember seeing teasers for this movie that made it look like it was about a snowman and a reindeer chasing each other around an ice rink, which seemed very boring. But my sister and I decided to give it a chance and see it in theaters. It had only been out for a couple of days, so we had vaguely heard that people seemed to be liking it, but we still didn't really know what it was about, let alone how popular it would become. And I know I'm about 10 years too late with this advice, but I highly recommend experiencing Frozen for the first time in a crowded theater before the hype with no expectations next to your sister with whom you have a close relationship. Truly one of my top 5 best cinematic experiences ever. I think I probably would still love this movie even if I'd been introduced to it in a less powerful way, but that first viewing has certainly impacted the way I feel about the movie to this day. I still remember exactly how I felt when I heard and saw Let It Go for the first time. The song started and it was like, yes, good, an Idina Menzel number. I love Wicked, I'm here for this. And then that first The Cold Never Bothered Me Anyway, which he throws off her cloak, gave me chills. My brain went, oh, wow, this isn't just a song, it's a feeling. And it just kept escalating as Elsa's confidence grew and she could finally be herself for the very first time. By the end of the number, I was either in tears or too overwhelmed with emotion to even cry. I can't remember which. Some kid a few rows behind us murmured, wow, she's way prettier than I thought. And maybe I was just projecting the way I felt, but to me it sounded like the kid was really saying, something needs to be said here, but I can't find the words. It's not that I'd never been moved by a musical number before, but this took it to the next level. And all of this is almost embarrassing for me to admit now, because Let It Go then became one of the most overplayed songs of all time and everyone got sick of it, but listen, it was overplayed for a reason. It's an epic song, and Adina Menzel freaking kills it. I still stand by this. Looking back on my other thoughts as I watched Frozen unfold for the first time shows me just how much amatonormativity, the idea that everyone wants and needs a long-term monogamous romantic partner, had affected me. I still thought I was straight, although my standard justification of I'm not into dating yet but I'm sure I will be when I'm older was feeling less and less valid as I was then 23 years old. Anyway, I distinctly remember during Love is an Open Door, which is the song that Hans and Anna sing to each other soon after they meet, that my sister and I turned to each other and whispered, I ship it. And then Kristoff got thrown into the story, and I was conflicted because I really liked Anna with him too. I started thinking maybe Elsa would end up with Hans. And then Elsa wounded Anna's heart with her ice, which only an act of true love could heal, and it did not even occur to me that that could be anything other than a romantic kiss. I thought Kristoff would bring her back to Hans, she would kiss him, but it wouldn't do anything, and that's when she'd realize her true love was actually Kristoff. But while I was expecting things to not work out between Anna and Hans, I was not expecting Hans to be cruel, so his... Oh, Anna, if only there was someone out there who loved you, was shocking and devastating. I thought the scene when Olaf rescues her and explains that some people are worth melting for was beautiful. The snowman was far less obnoxious than I'd been anticipating. But even then, it never occurred to me that Anna would be cured by anything other than kissing Kristoff. And then, fighting the blizzard and the ice spreading through her body, almost reunited with her romantic true love, Anna sees Hans draw a sword against Elsa. I'm sure if I'd been able to think clearly in that moment I would have finally figured out what was coming, but all I could do was gape at the screen as Anna changed course and saved her sister instead. And with hindsight, duh, that was the act of true love, but for a second or two I legitimately thought she was now permanently frozen. And like, here's the thing, I've loved Disney movies as long as I can remember so I'm not trying to insult them. But the studio that made Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and The Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and Enchanted had so thoroughly convinced me that when you need love to break a spell, it must be romantic and almost always involves a kiss, that I couldn't even imagine that a Disney film would ever treat saving a family member's life as powerful enough for that. But Frozen did. Frozen went there. While I was sitting next to my wonderful sister, one of the most important people to me, this movie showed me that it's okay for sisterly love to be the most powerful thing in your life. So at that point, I definitely cried. As far back as I can remember, the overemphasis on romance in movies has bothered me, but until then I thought I just had to accept it. Falling in romantic love was a universal human experience, so everyone said. Naturally, people wanted to tell stories about it. Obviously, I'd seen movies, even Disney movies, like Mary Poppins and Emperor's New Groove, that didn't have love stories before, but a Disney princess movie that had romantic love, but showed a character actively choosing a non-romantic loved one over a romantic one and saving herself in the process? That was mind-blowing. Even though I didn't know I was Arrow Ace at the time, I knew I loved that message, So as my sister and I left the theater, we could not praise this movie enough, and for weeks and months afterward, I couldn't get this story out of my head, and I didn't want to. I saw it two more times in theaters, for a total of three views in 2013, and then bought the DVD as soon as it was released. The following Halloween, I dressed as Elsa, along with thousands of girls 15 to 20 years younger than me. I ended up watching Frozen eight times in 2014. But then... I stopped watching it for a while. Part of that was just because watching a movie eleven times in a little over a year is a lot, even for me, so I needed a break. But another part of it was people started really hating on this movie and it got to me. Some of the criticism was legitimate, like no, we really didn't need another animated musical about white royalty, and yes there are several plot holes, but a lot of it boiled down to this thing is overwhelmingly popular and therefore it's cool and edgy to say it's bad. But I bought it. I felt embarrassed by my initial enthusiasm. I was way too old to be obsessing over a movie like this the way I had done in my early teens. Normally I don't have much trouble loving the movies I love unapologetically, but normally the movies I love are old or obscure enough that the internet isn't filled with hot takes about why it's bad to love them. I still enjoyed listening to the songs, and I still defended it when I heard it disparaged in person, but after my eight viewings in 2014 I didn't watch Frozen again until 2019, and I only watched it then because Frozen 2 was coming out and I wanted to refresh myself on the first one before I saw the sequel. I was kind of expecting that viewing to convince me once and for all that I had gotten over it, but I had the complete opposite experience. I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of that rewatch. I was reminded that I really do genuinely love and enjoy this movie, and I wished I hadn't let the haters convince me otherwise. So I watched it once each in 2020, 2021, and 2022, which was partly because of the Disney watching project I did with my brother. We watched through all the animated Disney movies in order in 2020, and then we re-watched the ones we'd ranked in the top 10 in 2022. Yes, we decided Frozen is a top 10 Disney animated film, and no, I will not apologize for that. I think a big reason why I let myself get temporarily talked out of loving Frozen is because I couldn't articulate what I really loved about it at the time, so I thought that meant I didn't actually love it. But now that I know I'm Arrow Ace, it makes perfect sense. As I mentioned before, even at the time I knew that seeing a character choose familial love over romantic love in a matter of life and death meant a lot to me, though I didn't know the extent of it. And I related to Elsa and Let It Go spoke to me, but it took me a long time to recognize the extent of that, too. As someone who has struggled with depression, I initially saw Elsa's self-imposed isolation to try to protect people that ended up hurting them as an allegory for that disease, which I still think it is to a certain extent. Depression dulls all emotions and tricks one's brain into thinking others would be better off without them, and that describes some of what Elsa is going through. But there's also the aspect of hiding a part of herself that she knew she wouldn't be accepted for, and finally breaking away from that to live as her true self that a lot of LGBTQIA people relate to, which I didn't recognize in myself at the time, and now I wonder if another reason I stepped away from the movie for a while was a subconscious fear of facing my own queerness. I know a lot of people see Elsa as a lesbian, which seemed to be confirmed by a couple of brief moments in Frozen 2. While I would argue that it's not quite canon yet, I wouldn't mind if Frozen 3 makes it so, provided the story of Frozen 3 actually makes sense, unlike whatever the heck Frozen 2 is supposed to be about, What I'm trying to say is I don't want to dismiss the Elsa as a lesbian theory, but to me she feels very airwaste. She doesn't seem at all interested in finding a partner, she just wants to hang out in her mountain ice palace by herself, which sounds pretty awesome, even though I still don't understand how she was going to be able to feed herself up there. Also, at the end of the first movie, she seems very surprised to learn that she has the capacity to thaw what she's frozen by allowing herself to feel love. Elsa has been suppressing all of her emotions because she knows that her ice powers are harder to control when she feels things, which is again similar to depression. But seeing this through an arrowace lens of constantly feeling like you're incapable of the correct kind of love, I could see an arrowace Elsa being aware of love as a thawing force, but thinking it had to be romantic love and that she was therefore doomed. So seeing Anna using their sisterly love to heal her frozen heart showed Elsa that the type of love she could feel was powerful enough, and that was all she needed to bring back Summer. Like most of my Airways headcanons, I'm pretty sure this wasn't quite what the filmmakers actually intended, but it works and it's beautiful. Whether Elsa is intentional queer representation or not, even the straight romantic relationship in Frozen is unusual for a Disney movie. Anna and Kristoff's rocky start leading to eventual feelings is nothing new, of course, but the way they leave it, at least at the end of the first movie, which I like to pretend is the end of the story because, again, the sequel makes no sense, is very sweet. They're not officially dating, let alone engaged or married, but Anna presents Kristoff with a new sled, and he's so excited that he exclaims, I could kiss you! And then he backs off and asks her permission, and they only kiss after they both agree that they want to. This may not seem like much, but in a culture that tends to romanticize spontaneity and persistent pursuit at the expense of consent, especially in fairy tales, it's so wonderful to see asking for consent encouraged in such an adorable way here. I think a big part of what makes Frozen work is that it's all about subverting expectations. Before the movie came out, they set expectations that the snowman and the reindeer would be annoying, and then Olaf and Sven both turned out to be sweet and genuinely funny. Then at the beginning, it makes you think it's going to be a typical fairy tale romance, but it turns out the prince is the actual villain. Plot twist villains are pretty common in this Disney era, and I'm not sure even I would consider Hans the best instance of that trope. But I do love the way the Duke of Wesselton is established as a decoy villain, and that he's voiced by Alan Tudyk, who had just voiced the plot twist villain in Wreck-It Ralph. At first I felt like the Hans reveal was a little too out of nowhere, but there are a few delightfully subtle clues that I completely missed initially, like how he sings about finding his own place when he's pretending to be singing about Anna, or how he's clearly calculating a way to incapacitate Elsa while making it look like he's saving her. I would have liked a few more clues, but I also think it's good to portray that red flags can be hard to spot. And then on top of that there's the unexpected challenge to the amatonormative idea that romance is the most important and powerful form of love. It was all so completely different from what I was expecting, in the best possible way. Clearly this movie appeals to people who are not Arrow Ace, but I don't think it's a coincidence that the most popular children's movie of the decade is so focused on platonic love. A lot more kids can relate to familial love than to romantic love, and Frozen proves that you don't have to eliminate romance from a story entirely to emphasize other types of love. When Anna falls in love with Kristoff, that doesn't make her relationship with him the only one that matters, or even the one that matters the most, and that's a message we don't get from nearly enough stories. A big fear that many aromantic people share is that all of our friends will eventually abandon us for romantic partners due to the prevalence of the message that one's romantic partner should be one's number one focus at all times. Personally, I've been fortunate enough to find people who value friendship as much as I do and therefore want to maintain close platonic relationships whether they're in romantic relationships or not, and I'm very grateful for all of them. But I know not all arrows are as fortunate in that respect. So that's why I keep emphasizing how awesome it is that in Frozen not only is one of the main characters potentially Arrow Ace, but the other main character who is not still chooses to save herself with platonic love instead of romantic love. Encouraging people to cultivate non-romantic relationships benefits everyone, not just Eros, because putting too much pressure on one relationship to fulfill all or even most of one's social needs is unsustainable, and often dangerous. When Hans meets Anna, he correctly observes that she's lonely and desperate for love, and he hopes to manipulate her by filling that entire void himself. But he ultimately fails because, while Anna does desire romance, she wants to reconnect with her sister even more. Even though Elsa has shut her out for years, as soon as she reveals her powers, Anna understands that her sister has been in just as much pain as she has. Instead of festering resentment, Anna is filled with empathy and compassion, which allows her to save herself, her sister, and the kingdom. We need more heroes like Anna. And while it may be overrated, overhyped, and a little underdeveloped, in terms of emphasizing the power of non-romantic love, we need more stories like Frozen. Thank you for listening to me attempt to express my love for this movie. I still don't feel like I've done it justice, which I suspect will become more and more of a problem as I continue to work my way up this list. If you want to hear about more movies that I love enthusiastically, remember to follow or subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and leave a rating or review if you feel like it. This episode is coming out during Aromantic Spectrum Awareness Week, so I hope any of you out there who are or think you might be on the aromantic spectrum are feeling particularly appreciated and accepted. And if you're not AeroSpec yourself, maybe reach out to any aromantic friends you have and tell them you value them. And if you don't know of any arrows in your life, just reach out to any friend and tell them you care about them. Let's spread lots of good non-romantic feelings this week. And the next time you get the urge to tell a single friend they need a romantic partner, don't. Next week I'll be talking about another movie musical that I've watched 15 times, although that one is not animated and is decidedly not geared toward children. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. And then he ran into my knife. He ran into my knife ten times.